0: Welcome to the Debate from Newsweek. This is our third week of focusing on the Urban Debate League. Uh, Newsweek has partnered with the National Association for Urban Debate Leagues to bring you the voices, thoughts, and opinions of students from across the country who will join us here on the Debate Podcast. And the students are also going to join us at the Newsweek headquarters in the coming weeks to debate each other in person in front of a live audience and create podcast materials of their own. Joining us today, we have two students from the Silicon Valley chapter of the National Association for Urban Debate Fabiola and Eric. Fabiola and Eric, welcome to the debate. Thanks for having us. Hi, yeah. Hey, Thank gr- you. Great to have you. Uh, we're going to talk to you guys in just a little bit, and we'll let you show off some, do your debating. Before that, we're also joined today by Rhonda Haynes, the Executive Director at the National Association for Urban Debate Leagues. Rhonda, welcome.
1: Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here, Andrew.
0: Absolutely. Well, good to have you. So from your perspective, tell us a little bit about this partnership with Newsweek and uh, what you've been trying to accomplish and how it's going.
1: Well, uh, it's a terrific partnership. Uh, it's the first of its kind, as far as we know. And uh, we at the National Association for Urban Debate Leaks, or I will spare you, we call it Noddle, uh are just really excited. I wish I had forward. learned that
0: earlier. So much time <laughs> we could have saved. Nautil. Got it. Go on.
1: Minutes on your life, Andrew. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, So, yeah, it's um, debate is a very special activity as we are eager for the world to learn more about. Um, And, you know, so having this partnership with Newsweek affords us the opportunity to spotlight fantastic students like the ones we're going to see here today and uh, the activity of debate itself.
0: So when you think about did you did you get started as a debater or did you come in later as a teacher and administrator? How did you get involved with this?
1: I myself am not a debater. I am a recovering engineer uh, (laughs) (laughs) who also studied studied business, and I happen to care about uh, developmental opportunities for young people. And that's how I stumbled upon what I call and consider a gem of an organization and a fantastic activity, developmental activity.
0: And how have you seen the results of working on overseeing this debate league?
1: Uh, twofold. First, I would just say I personally am very impressed. Um, personally, professionally, I have a body of work before coming into the nonprofit sector. And I often say that the students who I get to observe debate, uh, can compete on any stage really and any, any employer would be very fortunate to have debaters, uh, on staff.
0: So I was raised uh, in a liberal arts family. I did debate. Uh-huh. I have a philosophy and a poli-sci degree, and I married an engineer, okay? So we have both halves of the universe in our household. Uh, coming from the workplace, coming from the engineering background that you have, uh-huh. how important would you say it is to see incoming you know, employees or contractors, anybody that you deal with, have the kind of argumentation, logic, analytical, and expressive skills that are developed by debate?
1: It's, a, it's an incredible foundational skill. And so um, I, I feel that anyone who enters a workplace uh, with that asset, um, you know, has a, a very uh, fairly steep learning curve. Um, if, if, or I should say it it quite a bit.
0: And also, it'd be nice to get some engineers into debating. I'm just saying every once in a while, the engineers could benefit from a little more polishing in the articulation skills.
1: I'll give you that. I will give you that. <laughs> <laughs> no argument here. I said I was a recovery engineer. Uh, and I'm 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 here. I'm here for it. Anytime you want to poke fun at engineers, I will probably just nod my head and or bow it in shame. <laughs> hey,
0: the best decision I ever made in my life was to partner with an engineer. So uh, you know, it's it's it's, it's loving ridicule if if you can take it that way. Well, let's yes, bring the students yes. on in here. Uh, Rhonda, thank you so much for what you do. Um, thanks so much for the time tonight. And obviously, we appreciate the work. I, I'm a big believer in the value of debate, if that hasn't been obvious uh, to folks over the last couple of weeks. Uh, joining us now, we have uh, Fabiola and Eric. Um, let's start with you, Fabiola. What have you experienced in debate? Was this something that, you know, you've been doing a long time? you just starting at? Where's your kind of history with debating?
2: So I joined my school's speech and debate club my freshman year. I'm a current junior. And I first started with speech, and it was during online school, so we were all on Zoom. And I was like the only person who would go on mic and talk to my teacher. So my teacher, she was like, you know what, you're a pretty loud person, you're pretty vocal, Join speech. So I did. And a year later, once we came into in-person school, that's when I started debate. Because so I wanted some change. I was pretty intimidated by debate, but I figured now was the time to conquer that fear. So last year was my first year of debate. This is my second year of debate, and it has been super fun. I've learned so much, and I've met some really cool people, and I've just become super close with everyone at my school's debate team, and it's been great.
0: You said it intimidated you. I'm curious, what intimidated you about it in the beginning?
2: Oh, okay. So during Zoom, this is like speech of the debate during Zoom, we had the debate. Dude, he was a junior at that time. He came into our speech meeting trying to get some more debate recruiters. And he just started spitting all this jargon and all these big words at me. And I was I was 13. I was, I was a little girl. Like, I didn't understand what was going on. The policy debate, just the event of debate that I do, is has a lot of jargon. It's very complicated for newcomers. And I was scared when I heard, when I got bombarded with everything
0: all at once. <laughs> Eric, i want to get to you in just a second, but people haven't heard this slice of policy debate because we've been letting you guys, de- we- we've had you guys debate at uh, what I would call normal person speed. And <clears> what <throat> people may not realize is the pace that at least certain kinds of policy debate can be at. Um, I know I'm putting you just a teeny uh, yeah. bit on the spot, but can you maybe give them like 10 or 15 seconds of Pace of speech that goes on during a policy debate, because I, I I guarantee you, people who have not heard a debate; it, it, they uh, have no idea.
2: Oh, policy debate! There's a term for it. It's called spreading, speed reading, mm-hmm. and words per minute, like upwards of five hundred. Do you want me to? Yeah, give it am yeah,
0: okay. I am because I, I I'm sure that people have not heard this, and I think they'll find it fascinating. If you need me to talk to Eric for a oh. second to get something you can read, that's no problem. But you want to give it a shot, or do you want me to come back to you for a second?
2: Yeah, I mean, pull something out Okay, all right. Eric, for now. So Eric,
0: Eric be better at this. Yeah, well, no, I want to hear both of you, because this is something we have not featured yeah. yet. We've kind of talked around it a little bit. Uh, Eric, what got you into debate? Yeah, you know, I, I started debate as a sophomore,
3: and I and kind of had a little bit of the same story as Fabiola. I um, started online doing debate, and it was actually my, I think at the time... Oh, at the time he wasn't my teacher, but Mr. Winslet, my current teacher, um, was like, you know, you should you should join the bait. You're um uh, you know, give it a try, you're a sophomore. Um and I was like, all right, yeah, I'll join the bait. Um and I think that same year, I just remember being in the debate meeting um while January 6th was happening in the TV and we were dissecting it um as it was happening. And that was just one of the most wild experiences for me. Um and just being able to like do that in real time was like, wow. Um, you know, I, I never really had a group where you can like uh share all these different perspectives about the world around you in a way that's like really analytical. Um and that was just something I I was really attracted to. And so now I've been doing it for for three years now, um, since I was a sophomore. Now now I'm a senior.
0: Wow. So you you found yourself in a sort of breaking news environment with a very complicated emotional political topic and surrounded by other people who have the capabilities and skills and interests to be able to discuss that in- intelligently, which is unique, I'm, I imagine.
3: Right. Yeah. No. And, and then I also, uh, you know, following that, I went into the wonderful world of policy debate where it's like a huge learning curve, really. I I think when you and I share some of the same feelings that i really had when you start, it's like people are throwing a ton of words at you and you don't have any idea what any of them mean, really, uh, until you really get into it. And then it's like, you know, at at first it feels like you have no defenses, but then you kind of start to learn how to fight back with your words. Um, And that's really the best way I can articulate it. Uh, And it just feels amazing to be able to like uh, express yourself in a way that's formal. um, And it it puts forth an argument that you hadn't really thought about in the past, but you're trying to express yourself in a way that's uh, concise yet powerful. And I think that's the best way I can put it out there. It, it can be
0: overwhelming. And even, you know, it's a little less overwhelming once you've been doing it a while. I know you both know that, but in the beginning, and especially if you're not accustomed to the pace of the argumentation, it's, uh you. It, I mean, it can be very discouraging and depressing when you find yourself in the middle of it for the first time and you almost have a, I don't know that I want to do this anymore <laughs> kind of reaction. All right. Um. Now she says you're the better at the the fast pace, the spreading, but Um, I'm going to come back to Fabiola for a second and uh, do you have a a selection Fabiola? So this is, this would be the pace you would normally hear in. So this is how you cram, you know, 20 minutes worth of speech into an eight minute constructive, right?
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Even now, like I'm in varsity and I still ask people to slow down while reading. It's, it's awful. I don't recommend it, but here we go. This is a card from last year's topic, which was Water. Fracking devastates public health. Unavoidable air and water pollution that every step in the process means that only an outright ban can solve. That's get your 21. Research links fracking to several credits of grave health conditions, including imperative development, health, asthma, heart problems, skin rashes, mental health problems, and possibly cancer. Pollution and toxic radioactive waste from fracking may be the blame for this outbreak.
0: I'm not the best of it. There you go. I'm not gonna (laughs) bore you anymore. And 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 even that is that's relatively tepid <laughs> i mean that's mm. that's just fairly calm you know for the waters so no i wanted i wanted people to hear that because it is very very different and it's definitely when Spreading you starting gets intense yeah when you walk into a debate like that and you aren't familiar with it and what's happening here are they practicing for auctioneer school no so um Eric, have you noticed changes in your own, like, you know, your private life, your communication with peers, parents, adults, anybody as a result of debate? Because that's the part that we're the most interested in is how does this shape you as a citizen, right?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think the first time I kind of started to realize that debate really had an impact in uh, my personal life was was actually in my schooling. Um, it was the same year, uh, towards the end of the year, we were when we were doing um, online school and me and a group of friends were in this uh, class where you have to write an analytical argument. Um, in the form of an essay for uh, an AP class. And I was just really drilling the questions. I was, I was doing really great. And one of my friends asked me, he was like, hey, do you think that that might be because of debate? And I thought about it and I was like, I think that's it. I, I really think, um, you know, in that club, I was able to build up the skills uh, to be able to apply the reasoning and argumentation to other facets of my life um, in a way where it's just been like incredibly impactful um, to the point where it's like, I don't I don't even know what, uh, I don't even know how, I'd be, uh, how much different I would be without um, debate.
0: No, I, I totally understand what you're talking about. I, I, I think the same thing. I, um, if you'll pardon a terrible reference, I think that debate teaches you the kind of logical analysis for ideas to put them together and break them down and understand them the way that like, sentence diagramming teaches you grammar. And if you learn sentence diagramming and how the language is structured, you have a completely different picture of how the language works. Much like when you do debate, you have a completely different approach to way the way ideas hang together. And it's beneficial, and you hard, it's hard to imagine how life would be without it. Hey, uh, just one more before we get you guys a chance to actually show off what you do. Fabiola, same question for you. Have you noticed a difference in you or a difference in your interactions with people as a result of debating?
2: yeah i've noticed that debate has opened my eyes up to the world in a way because i'm a very sheltered person i grew up very sheltered i didn't really know about anything that went out that went on beyond like my city and with debate i'm suddenly aware of like federal action i'm aware of things that are going on my state things that are going on in the u.s and the world and especially with like the midterms election, I wouldn't have followed that before I was in debate. But once I'm in debate, I realized that a lot of this policy action does have a real world impact on people. To so my English teacher, but I'm going to name drop her here, not going to name drop her, but I was able to tell her she didn't vote for the midterms. And I was able to convince her like why voting is such an important thing. So I think debate has really made me realize that I have a voice, that that these things have real-world impacts, and that I can influence that.
0: Outstanding. No, I, I, I love it. I'm just excited to hear you guys go. All right, so the topic for this debate, uh, which is, again, for those who haven't listened to the prior podcast, it's a structured format with three minutes each with a cross-examination minute in between and then kind of a response speech for a minute and a half after that. The topic is going to be artificial intelligence in the workplace, something nobody's talking about at all right now. <laughs> like, everybody's talking about this incredibly. Um, who is going to be doing the, uh, the first affirmative here? Is it going to be um, Fabiola or Eric? Fabiola, you're going first? I will. All right, fantastic. Yes. So I'm just going to step out of the way, let you go. We have three minutes for the first affirmative constructive with Fabiola.
2: All right, thank you. Imagine waking up one day to find that your job has been taken over by a machine. Leaving you with no income, and no prospects. No problem, right? I mean, we've seen machines replace human jobs in the past, and we've always managed to create new jobs in other fields. But this time, it's different. We stand at the cusp of a technological revolution that promises to be unlike anything humankind has experienced before. Historically, new jobs and in service industries are created when machines replace human jobs. The difference this time is that AI is coming for these jobs, and there's not going to be some magical new fuels for for people to work in. According to a report by Oxford Economics, the U.S. has lost over 260,000 jobs to automation since 2000, representing approximately 2% of the manufacturing workforce, with this figure continuing to increase at an exponential rate. One thing is clear. Technological advancements pose a severe threat to people's livelihoods as they gradually render human labor redundant. For these reasons, I advocate for universal basic income, or UBI, as a solution. UBI is a simple but powerful concept that could provide every citizen with a basic income adjusted for inflation, regardless of income level. This could be around $1,000 per month, and this financial cushion would offer those displaced by automation the dignity and security they need to live comfortably. Moreover, the UBI has potential to inspire entrepreneurship and innovation. Those who have lost those jobs to automation may feel more secure and willing to take risks with access to a guaranteed income. Those risks could have tremendous benefits for the overall economy as people start their own businesses, experiment with new ideas, or create startups. The Roosevelt Institute suggests that implementing UBI could boost the economy by 12%, making it a powerful catalyst for economic progress, job creation, entrepreneurship, and creativity. Now. The trillion dollar question, how are we gonna pay for this? During his 2020 presidential campaign, Andrew Yang proposed implementing a UBI plan that would give every American adult $1,000 per month. To pay for that plan, Yang suggested several funding sources, including a 10% value-added tax on goods and services, reduced government spending on social programs as fewer people would need them, increased economic growth through consumer spending, a carbon fee and dividend, and increased taxes on capital gains, and financial transactions. With careful planning and the combination of these funding sources, a UBI program can be funded and provides financial security for all Americans. In conclusion, UBI offers a powerful solution to the challenge of technological unemployment. It ensures that all Americans benefit from automation, not just large corporations. By providing a safety net, UBI empowers citizens to pursue their passions, take risks, and contribute to society in meaningful ways. Let's start a conversation about UBI and take action to make it a reality.
3: Thank you.
0: All right. Now, Eric, for one minute of cross examination.
3: Thank you. Um, Well, here's my my question for you, Fabiola Uh, Have you considered the incentive of working being taken away with universal basic income?
2: Thank you for your question. Yes, and a study by the National Bureau of Economic Research found that a universal and permanent cash transfer, such as basic income, did not significantly decrease employment. Researchers analyzed uh, Alaskan residents and the effects of the Alaska Permanent Fund, the closest thing the United States has to basic income currently. The data from 1960 to 1970 compared employment before the annual payments began, and the results showed a 3% increase in the employment-to-population ratio. So overall, the study suggests that cash transfer programs do not discourage work and have minimal effects on the labor market. And plus, like I said, basic income will make room for entrepreneurial risk.
0: All right. Do you um, do you need a moment to prepare, or do you have your first negative ready to go, Eric?
3: Yeah, I have my uh, my first negative ready to go.
0: Go whenever you're ready.
3: Both of our arguments center around the idea that automation by AI is going to disrupt the economy in the same way the industrial revolution impacted the jobs of farmers. In my case, I explore the idea of government-funded reskilling of workers, which is the ideal solution to combat job loss due to automation. The crux of the problem is that workers who are being displaced by AI don't have the skill sets that translate to working in AI. In other words, there is a discrepancy between the skill set of the workers who are being displaced and the skill set of the workers needed. Historically, New Deal programs back in the Roosevelt administration helped put Americans back on their feet, Um, and this worked at the expense of government spending. Despite job loss, the World Economic Forum asserts AI will create 97 million new jobs by 2025. Take, for example, the Works Progress Administration, which used American labor to build infrastructure that has largely had a positive impact on society. Imagine being able to wait in a virtual queue for the DMV rather than killing an entire Saturday. Uh, Any government website ever is behind the current standard. Think about the logistics optimization that can occur in government bureaucracies as a result of these new technologies. The general use case for a government-backed reskilling program goes beyond AI and automation, considering the volatility of the technology sector uh, like right now. And the point I'm trying to drive here is that an AI-centric world is inevitable. So it makes sense to teach workers how to maneuver that system for the sake of efficiency. Build a website instead of a barn, or build a barn if you'd like, uh, just as long as Americans have jobs, right? Um, And I mean, considering the the COVID pandemic, uh, which started in March of 2020, People had to rapidly pick up computing skills contingent on many workers being able to complete their job successfully online. The reason I call for a program at the scale of the New Deal is that people are going to be forced to adapt uh, to a new system, just like they did under COVID. And it wouldn't be the same uh, time constraints as the pandemic. When we consider automation taking over jobs, it's gradual development that comes as a result of the promise of better, faster and cheaper labor as opposed to humans. An argument against this approach harkens back to the age-old debate about the deficit and whether or not increasing government spending is a good or bad thing. Uh, If we do nothing, Americans lose job sectors, which is a catastrophic um, outcome for the economy. If we spend government money, we can transfer those jobs while increasing the GDP and the strength of our economy overall. Without wanting to quibble about the politics of budgeting, it makes sense that we invest resources to adapt to this new technological era and be prepared for the effects it might have on the economy with the overall goal of Americans being able to transition seamlessly into this new era of AI automation.
0: And now one minute of cross-examination from Fabiola.
2: All right, thank you, Eric. you have a question for you. Do you think working is necessary for survival?
3: Thank you for your question. Um, well, when you consider the theory uh, behind American capitalism, Really, everyone is exchanging labor for survival uh, at some basic level, right? And so at the same time, the, the system is built so that people who can't work or retire are able to survive. Um, and so the the idea is that no one's left dying in the streets. But in practicality, I mean, it's a pretty dystopian view walking around um, our, our city, San Jose, uh, downtown at night, where like you have empty luxury apartments with huge lobbies. And in the same block, you have people sleeping on the floor. Um, so I can recognize that in practicality, this is an idealist view, but it should be understood that like jobs are the backbone of our society. Uh, so to answer your question, working shouldn't be necessary for survival, at least in an ideal system. But in order for a current system to function, uh, working people still need survivability as an incentive
0: to work. Go ahead when you're ready with your uh, first affirmative rebuttal. Fabiola?
2: The rise of automation and AI threatens livelihoods, and universal basic income is a simple but powerful solution that can provide financial security, encourage entrepreneurship and innovation, and boost the economy. By implementing UBI and funding it through a combination of sources, all Americans can benefit from automation and transform our economy and society for the better. While Eric's plan for government-funded rescaling programs may appear promising, it's important to acknowledge their potential limitations. As Andrew Yang pointed out, the goalposts are now moving. By the time someone goes through a retraining program, the job they were retrained for could have been changed or automated. With the advancement of AI and technology, it's possible there will come a time when robots can perform every task a human can. Therefore, it's crucial to recognize the need for solutions such as UBI that can help us prepare for the future and ensure that no one is left behind in an increasingly automated world. Additionally, while it is true that American capitalism is built on the exchange of labor for survival, we should also consider the fact that working should not be the only means for survival. AOC once said, we should not be haunted by the specter of being automated out of work. We should be excited by that. But the reason we're not excited by it is because we live in a society where if you don't have a job, you are left to die. A UBI would provide a safety net for those displaced by automation and allow them to transition into new industries or pursue entrepreneurial endeavors without fear of financial ruin. The end game is clear. While job retraining may seem like a practical solution, it's not a viable option for millions of displaced workers. UBI, on the other hand, is a practical and proven solution that addresses the challenges of job loss due to automation, while also addressing other societal issues such as income inequality and poverty. Let's embrace this bold and innovative solution and build a brighter future for all. Thank you.
0: Outstanding. Eric, are you ready for your uh, last speech or do you need a minute to prepare?
3: Yeah, I I think I got my last speech ready.
0: Proceed when you're ready.
3: Right. So in my mind, the debate that exists uh, between these two cases is, you know, increasing automation due to AI is is an issue that's going to overcome our society. Right. And we should either move away completely from our uh, economic system and adopt this form of universal basic income, or we can adjust our existing system and brace it for change, right? And so that's that's kind of what I'm advocating here for. Um, and so teaching people technological skills is something that's gonna have to happen uh, eventually. And I'm not entirely convinced that a program like universal basic income would be the answer, right? Because I think we should invest in people. This is a problem that's going to snowball in the future. So it's best that we prevent it now by making sure that people are able to face these new technologies with the skills that they need to be able to find a job uh, in the sector, right? Um, Because the truth is they're going to be displaced uh, in the current jobs they have now. Banking on the idea of entrepreneurship um, and innovation with the form of universal basic income is a risk that I'm not entirely sure would be worthwhile for the U.S. government to take um, and so I think for that reason I would have to put forth my plan that increasing automation due to AI should be addressed by bracing our existing existing by bracing our existing system for change in the form of having rescaling programs uh, by the US government to make sure that people have the skills needed to adopt to the new technological climate.
0: Very good. That was fantastic. So, um, I, I have a question for both of you, though. I'm, I'm just kind of interested. First of all, and people, I think, will realize this, but I want to make it explicit in case they don't. Um, both of you, if asked, are fully capable of debating the exact opposite side of this equation, right? Fabiola, you are capable of debating against a UBI or against the need for adapting because you have some other perspective on the problem, which renders the current position that you're advocating for. Incorrect, right? You'd be prepared to do that.
2: Yes, that's something debate has prepared before.
0: <laughs> that's what debate does. And Eric, same thing. You would be fully prepared to offer um, an argument in favor of a universal basic income or some other version of the opposite of your your current position, right?
3: In a heartbeat, yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Great. see that's and that's the point. But I wanted to ask you because this is such a relevant topic for everybody in our society right now. But you all, in particular, are on the cusp of moving moving into college where you're going to get your training for the future and you're facing a future where for the first time perhaps in human history 4 years from now 6 years from now AI could make it so that whatever you plan to do right now might not be necessary how does that make you think you know about the future what's your kind of reaction to that prospect Fabiola
2: yeah so as i mentioned i'm currently a junior in high school so we're starting to look at colleges and majors and everything and it truly feels like the only option uh currently is into tech into ai into all those tech fields because during my research it did lead to a lot of doom scrolling was very disheartening to see everything just sort of decreasing seeing that we're not as needed
0: anymore it's one thing to debate a subject like this it's another thing to contemplate the significance of this trend for you as a soon-to-be worker soon to be college student and then worker yeah i
2: mean did wonders for my hope for the future i'm so optimistic i'm really not (laughs) to not get too (laughs) depressing i just have to remind myself that everything's going to be all right and i have had that question of what's the point because it really feels like robots are just going to take over everything but I think that's going to be a while. And I think our generation is going to have to face the brunt of it.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, look, I, I face these same questions and I'm fairly well along in my career path, you know, closer to the end of it than at the beginning. And I know how it affects me to think about these things. That's why I was curious, you know, to hear from you guys about this. Eric, um, do you find yourself thinking about that as a you know, future worker, future entrepreneur or employee?
3: Yeah, so, I mean, I'm, I'm looking to get into the aerospace uh sector in in college. And, you know, I think if AI starts designing our planes, I'll, I'll be taking the train a little more um, just because, you know, <laughs> I, I feel like you know, that might be particularly relevant to aerospace because we're always, you know, only a couple of colleges off for the major because there's always this talk about the volatility of the aerospace market. So, you know, it's something that I've, I've, I've dealt with before um, in considering what my career would look like. And, you know, I think in my particular case, if you give me a hammer and an anvil, I'll be happy to make anything. With my hands um but in the like jobs that we'll be able to have in the future and what will be necessary and what will not uh i think will like change the landscape entirely for what the hiring um and like uh particular value of like certain majors will have um and so i think we'll see a shift in that in 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 the future as you were saying so i mean i i guess i just have to brace for um adopting to new uh, technologies and ideas as they happen.
0: Well, no, I, I agree. And, I you know, it, it's, it's interesting for me to hear you guys talk about this because, first of all, I would say to both of you that whatever that future holds, the skills you're learning in debate and that you've demonstrated tonight uh, put you, I think, in the best position to adapt to whatever we do see come down the pike when it comes to AI. Um, I think that some people will be, it'll be really, really difficult to adapt and other people it'll be, Maybe less difficult, maybe even easy to adapt. But you guys, I have a lot of optimism about you <laughs> and what you're going to be able to do to it. So uh, take heart, Fabiola. Uh, whatever does happen, I think that you're going to you. be in really good shape for it. And you guys yeah, did fantastic. Okay. You did such a great job tonight. Thank you so much. You're you're going to do great in New Thank York. You. It's going to be a blast.
2: Trades are looking super appealing right now. <laughs> you know, well, AI is coming for white-collar work first. But if anything, if Gen Z has shown anything, is that we are... Adaptable, We can change, and I think we'll survive.
0: I think so, that's too. Right. Well, Eric and Fabiola and uh, Rhonda, thank you so much for the time as well. Uh, that's it for us here on The Debate. But, uh, man, this has just such, been such a great project, and I really appreciate you guys letting me uh, spend some time with you and uh, show our listeners what it's like to debate and what's happening with uh, the youth and how they're learning to articulate and argue for their ideas. I'm Andrews Holman, and that's it for this edition of The Debate from Newsweek. We'll see you next time.